0: Have a seat. Um, there will be some time afterwards for you to do that some more, and so, uh, in fact, we encourage it. Uh, welcome aboard uh, if you're just joining us in this series. We're right in the third week of a five-week series called This Place, and it is about this place. It's about this community community. This congregation that we call uh, Christian Church Buckhead. And as you may have already seen on the front of the bulletin, if you got one of those, we've done a lot of the front-end work for you. You can read about what the series is going through and whatever. But uh, essentially, all we're saying is that when we think about this place and we think about this church, we want this place to be a few things. We want this place to be a place of safety. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. A place of challenge, a place of laughter and joy, A place of prayer and being prayed for, a place of service, and so on. And all of these things have come from one New Testament book, one New Testament letter called the letter to the Philippians. So if you have a Bible, that's where we're going to be in a few minutes. But we've pulled all these things from there. We didn't just sort of make these up out of the air. We just read through this letter and it's like, man, there's just these things that the writer Paul keeps saying to this church in Philippi, like when you gather, when you come together, these are the things that are important. You should be a place of these sorts of things, right? So two weeks ago, we talked about how what we hope is the case is that this place this church is a place where you can safely work out what you believe that you can sort of hammer that out in safe supportive and genuine friendships which means that if you don't know what you believe well this is a good place to come and ask questions and to uh, just experience that exploration of the great questions and issues of faith so we hope we hope that it is a safe place to do that we talked about that last week dan preached just a great sermon on It's also a place of challenge where wherever we are in our faith that we're challenged to take the next step, right? And so uh, all Jesus is concerned with when it comes to our faith is just the next step in the journey, which means that if you're someone who doesn't quite know what you believe, it's not, I mean, you're not quite there as far as, Christianity thing goes or whatever it's like the next step for you isn't this like I'm going to become a missionary that's not the next step for you the next step is perhaps just exploration just learning more just asking questions and just sitting in this arena where you can be challenged to take next steps so we talked about that today I want to talk about this that this is a place of laughter and joy are you with me on that and then the second part is so important that it's a, find, it's a place of finding God's goodness in all things. So just to read this again, that this is a place of laughter and joy, of finding God's goodness in all things. So that's what we're going to do today. That's what we're going to explore today. We'll get to the verse, just one verse There, We'll get to this in a moment. But uh, I just want to put this in front of you and say that this, this is the kind of place at least a part of the kind of place that we want to be, a place where there's great laughter and joy, and uh, that comes from finding God's goodness uh, in all things. This is perhaps my favorite rendering of Jesus. Uh, There are many, many paintings of Jesus. There are many movies made of Jesus. There are many drawings of Jesus. There are many, you know, comedy routines about Jesus, and they all sort of stand there and say the same thing to us, which is, Jesus is not a funny guy. And so, when you see a rendering like this, uh, for those who are listening in later online, it's a picture of Jesus laughing, a rendering of Jesus laughing. When you see something like this, this is not the normal first-run image that we get in our heads when we think of Jesus. Of all things, Jesus isn't funny, and he's definitely not laughing. He's dead serious. Like, this is what, this is the idea we get Of Jesus. Now, the rest of the paint, like, you know, this one, this painting I love, or this rendering I love, because the rest of the paintings just sort of have Jesus, if you pay attention to those, if you look at these things, they just have Jesus like floating around through culture, through the world, kind of emotionally removed from the people around him, kind of in a daze, right? almost looks, Jesus always looks homesick in the pictures, in my opinion. When you look at him, there's like all this activity going on around him, and he's just sort of staring off into the distance like, I want to go home. You know, I just don't want to be here, like at summer camp, that one kid who's just off, I just don't want to be here. (laughs) Jesus looks like he's at summer camp, he doesn't want to be at summer camp. That's what he looks like to me in all the pictures, right? Or he looks, uh, he always looks a little Swedish too, like he's got the white thing on, and he's sort of floating about six or seven inches off the ground. Or he looks like one of the BGs, I don't know if you're into that, but that's the rent renderings of Jesus that we get right are you with me on that but this one is so different this one is like we get this picture that there's a there's a humor there's a sense of humor to it and it reminds me of the psalm uh, in chapter 2 verse 4 where the writer says he who sits in heaven what laughs now if you read this psalm the first three verses are pretty funny Because it's all about how we as people think we got this thing figured out. Like we're scheming and plotting and we're going to like take over the world and whatever. And then verse 4 enters in this sort of reality that God just sort of laughs at us. He just laughs at our plans. He laughs at what we think we're going to do. He laughs at how awesome we think we are. He laughs at how like in the moment we think we are, like all history revolves around us. Like he sort of laughs about that. He has this sense of humor that's sort of rooted in reality, which is quite sad. And so the humor comes out, sort of the laughter of God comes out. But back to the picture of Jesus laughing. This rendering of Jesus that you see on the screen hung in the hallway of the church where I grew up. It was in the back hallway downstairs near the rear exit, so it wasn't something you'd see unless you knew where it was. And our church was full of Jesus paintings. They lined the hallways of the building. In fact, my friend and I used to break in at night with a video camera and do voiceovers to the paintings. <laughs> it's part of the reason I'm in ministry. Like, I just feel like I owe God a little bit of my time. You know, like, after, after some of the things that we said on those videos, which I wish to this day I knew where those were located. But uh, nevertheless, all of the paintings of Jesus that filled the hallways of our buildings were, again, a little creepy and a little unattractive. A little scary but this one the one where jesus laughs was the one that i always liked it's the one that caught my attention it was this kind of jesus that framed my experience as a high school student in my home church i was raised in the faith on the idea that jesus was not out to take away joy but to bring more of it that's what i was raised on that jesus wasn't here to steal joy But to bring more of it. Jesus wasn't here like we always sort of picture Jesus coming in to shut the party down. But in fact, if you read the Gospels, Jesus came to party. And to bring the parties up to a respectable level. And to say, this is what real joy looks like. And for me, it was that kind of joy that lived within the Jesus story. Not the fear that we're all so used to. But it was the joy that lived in the Jesus story that brought me to faith. It was the joy of his message and his life, this hopeful outlook on the world and all its people. That's what led me to trust Jesus, not fear, not anger, not his wrath, right? I was baptized because I loved Jesus, not because I was scared of hell. I was drawn to the joy and the peace that he was promising that he would bring to the world. And it's kind of a confession, This is the way I've always structured my ministries throughout my career. Around the joy of the Lord. Not around his anger, but around his joy. It's always seemed to me that our world needs more of that at this point. More hope, not less hope. More hope, not fear. Now, as a pastor for nearly 20 years at this point, I'm no fool to think that in this room today, as it was in last service... That this room isn't filled with all kinds of hurt and pain and sorrow and hope, hopelessness, doubt, confusion, and even fear. Like, I'm no fool to think that doesn't exist. It's in part why we're all here, actually. We're looking for that one thing to get us through the next 24 hours of the next few days. To be reminded of something, this message of hope, this message that things will, in the end, work out. And that God is not absent from our world. But he's alive, and he's he's well. And he is working to bring renewal into our lives. Like, that's why we're here. It's part of the reason we're here, is to hear that. So I'm no fool in thinking that all the realities of life don't exist in this room, because they do. But my ministry has always been a combination of holding out the joy of the Lord against the backdrop of the reality of pain and suffering. In other words, I've always felt like being in this place together as a church and being in community with people within the church should be driven not by fear but by hope and hope as you'll see sits at the heart of what joy is are you ready philippians 4 verse 4 paul says this to the church and he says it to us today rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice let's say that together ready rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice I like the structure of this little command there's some verses before it that sort of set the stage for why he's saying this but for our purposes today just this verse will do and I like the structure of it because he not only says I want you to rejoice in the Lord always he says it again as if to say, like, when I'm speaking to my son, like, I say the thing that I need to say, and then I grab his head and look, at, look, look him in the eye and say, I'm going to say this one more time. I'm going to say it again. Go to bed. Like, it's that sort of thing, right? Like, I'm serious. So there's this tone of, like, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always, but hear me again. Rejoice. Like, that's the thing. Now, I don't know if you know the background of this letter, but Paul wrote this letter from prison. Uh, It's in a collection of letters in the new testament that are all written from prison They're known as the prison letters. There's several of these And again, just as an aside I love the fact that the world's first major church planter was a convict. I just think that's that's the way jesus works, right? Um, Let's go with that guy, right? And so paul's writing this from prison. He's got some time, you know guard bring me a Piece of paper like we're gonna write this thing down and he's writing to all these churches that he helped start and is coaching uh, from a distance and the whole letter of Philippians is written out of this great trial, difficult circumstance of Paul. Like he's in prison. Now, this may I may need to see a counselor about this, but I have this like, and maybe it's from watching too many reality shows where like they're in jail, right? But like I just have this fear that one day they'll come and get me. You know? I don't know what that means. And don't don't over-interpret it, like, hmm, what's going on in this life? Like, it's nothing like that. It's just like maybe. That would just be a terrible place to be. You know, just like to spend your life on hold behind bars, and that's where you are. Getting older and yet not growing at all, at least not in culture, and being removed from family. It just seems so terrible to me. And this is the place from which Paul is writing this letter, which for some reason is all about the joy of the Lord, that he finds some way to experience joy in his own circumstances. And he writes this church about that, saying, look, I'm in prison. You guys know that. They're probably supporting him a little bit, giving him food and whatnot. But here he is, like, joyful in those circumstances. Now, it may not be prison. I assume all of you guys aren't in prison. Like, there's not some sort of you get out on Sunday for church program, and then you go back, um, which would be awesome. But I'm assuming that's not the case. So forget prison. But there are all sorts of other things where we're in situations where it feels like it could rob us of joy. Like it might be the job you're in or the relationships you're in or the family situations that you're in, the economic. Like it all feels like a prison. You feel imprisoned by something. And if truth be told, like it takes away the joy that you think you should have in your life. And what's interesting about the whole letter of Philippians is is that it is about this kind of joy that can exist even in great imprisoned circumstances. You can't walk away from reading the letter of Philippians without underlining the word joy or rejoice just all throughout. It's there. And so the command here, as you see on the screen, is to rejoice in the Lord. And that's going to be the outline for today. I want to talk about rejoicing and then what it means to rejoice in the Lord. So let's just start with the word rejoice, okay? Say the word rejoice. Rejoice. That sounded very joyful. Thank you. Um, And there was much rejoicing nobody's seen that what is that what do you people do like (laughs) all right Um, the first thing that paul does here is he commands the church to be a place of rejoicing this is not a command by the way just to one person i know we tend to read our bibles in our privacy but it's a mistake to read this verse as a privately you know given instruction it's not to an individual alone but this is to everyone like it's a Paul is speaking to the entire community saying, I, this needs to be a place of rejoicing. This is to everyone, and more, more specifically, to the community of the church, that it should be a rejoicing tribe. That when she gathers, when she gets together in this place, that it's joyful. Now, he doesn't mean that we ignore life's realities or that we turn our heads from pain and suffering. No, that's not the idea here at all something we'll talk about in a minute, actually. But Paul was simply saying that when the church gathers, that one of the results of its gathering is joy. In other words, when people hang out with us, and this is sort of a nice litmus test, when people hang out with us, they should feel better about life, not worse. Now, a lot of churches excel in, like, making you feel terrible. But that's not what the Scriptures instruct the church to be. That when people hang out with us, they should feel better about life, their life in particular, and the world that they live, they should feel great about the future of God's good world, not worse. And the reason that this is very hard for us is that, it's really just one simple thing. I think for us as people, as humans, it's easier to be hopeless than joyful, period. It's true, right? Like any cursory pass through the social media outlets where the world has this option to voice its opinion, and you'll find this to be true. We're more easily drawn to hopelessness than we are to joy. Now, I don't really care what color the news station is that you watch. That's not what this next statement is about. You know, whether it's the blue station or the red station. I don't really care. But the thing that's troubling to me in our culture right now is that, particularly from Christians, there's like this outcry that the world is ending over health care. Now, just let that sink in. Again, I don't care where you vote. Like, that's not the point of this. But the point is, like, this is the thing that's dominating the social media outlets. And it's, like, from Christians. Like, this is the end. Like, really? Is this the end? Is this really the end? Oh, my gosh, is this, the, is this it? I'm in Revelation. Like, I went to seminary. I have a theological studies degree. And I'm like, I just never saw the healthcare part. <laughs> I just never saw it. Right? There's no, like, thing in there. And yet, this is what we're doing. It's a hopelessness thing that we love. And here's the thing. The outlets know that. They know it. The 24 hours news is always hungry. It always needs to eat. And so it finds these stories and narratives that anger people and that move us in a way where we're taking sides and determining whether or not the world can go on like this any longer. It's true. Calamity sells. And the thing is, we buy it every time. It's just easier to join the dialogue of calamity and hopelessness. Have you heard the phrase misery loves company? It's true. It's true. Misery is just a whole lot easier for us than joy. We're all very good at it. And it has become, in my opinion, humanity's default setting, where we just love to sort of share our misery and to have other people share it with us, right? I mean, try it. Just go home today. Open your Facebook account. Say something negative about the world. Man, you're going to get some traffic. Right on, brother. 54 likes. Here's a comment. Here's a link to a news report from an unreputable news source. Like, here's a video. Here's a thing. Like, I'm with you. Yeah, this whole thing is going down. Right? It's going down. It's just easier for us to do that. Now, I'll say this later, and I want this to sink in. Let it sort of drive us as we move through this together and explore this. But for Christians, for those of you who are not, just enjoy this. But for Christians to have hopelessness, if hopelessness trumps hope for the Christian, it is essentially denying the power of the resurrection. The moment we look at our culture and world and say, that's it. We're denying the power of the resurrection. So just let that sit there for a moment as we move through this. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice, And weep with those who weep. I want you to look at that verse for a moment and you determine in your own mind which part of that is easier for you. Is it rejoicing with those who rejoice or is it weeping with those who weep? Which one's easier for you? I'll give you the answer the second part. It's always easier to mourn with those who mourn. Sitting with people in their misery is always easier for us. Like we don't like it when others win. Especially if they're our friends. I know we say we do, but we don't. Right? We'd much rather our enemies win, but when our friends start winning, like when we're called to celebrate the wins and successes of others, there's always a hint of dissatisfaction that it's not that we're not the one people are celebrating. It's not as easy as it sounds, is it? But weeping, mourning, complaining, like that's something we can all get in on. It's so easy to share in people's pain and betrayal. And to tear down with our language the one who wronged our friend, that's so easy to do, right? Or to conspire their downfall, right? If only in our minds. Like, that's so much easier than to wish them well. It's just easier to be hopeless than joyful. To rejoice with those who rejoice is much harder than to sit around and gripe with those who are griping, period. Period. But back to our verse, Paul says rejoice always. And he says that we should be rejoicing continually. Rejoicing is supposed to be the normal rhythm of the church community. And again, when we're together, like we ought to feel better about life. We ought to feel better about the world, not worse. This is a place of laughter and joy and of finding God's goodness in all things. Now the phrase in this verse that I want us to end with today is this, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It simply means this, that the joy and the rejoicing that Paul is talking about is directly connected to the story of Jesus. So the joy that Paul is talking about is not some existential joy that you just go and find somewhere. It is directly connected and attached to the story of Jesus. So to rejoice in the Lord keeps us grounded in the story of jesus now when the scriptures talk about joy they're talking about this kind of posture that we have that is quite hopeful it's a posture of hope in the life of the individual but also in the life of the congregation like the congregation feels hopeful about things right that there's this thing that drives us forward even in the midst of great despair um just before service, we always have a band devotion and a sound team devotion, so we're all piled in a room downstairs, and we have guests come in and do the devotion. And this morning, our guest was awesome because she brought, she brought crafts and things. It was great. So she passed out these cards, and she said, I want you to write down your definition of uh, happiness and then of joy, right? And because my brain is fragmented with, like, 40 years of rock and roll history, the first thing I wrote down was, happiness is a warm gun. Which nobody thought was funny. And I was like, that's John Lennon. Is there nobody with me? And they just looked at me, and so I changed it. All right, so. Um, but now that I think about it, that is kind of a creepy thing to say, right? Okay, so. Um, <laughs> um, and so we basically all sat around and talked about this, and happiness seems to be this thing that makes us smile in the moment, right? It's a funny show, it's a funny joke, it's a thing you did for me, it's uh, I got on the interstate and there was no traffic. Like, I'm just happy. Like, everything's a good day, right? But joy seems to be this thing that propels us through the moments and the seasons where we can't smile. And that's what we determined as a group. Just like, joy is the thing that pulls us through those seasons when we can't smile. And so that's what the scriptures talk about. When they're talking about joy and rejoicing, it's just that this posture of hope, even when it doesn't feel very hopeful. Joy is rooted in knowing that the outcome is going to be good. Again, not some sort of like, I'm just imagining this is going to be good, but a real knowledge that the end result is good. Now, for the early Christians, this was all about the resurrection. All about the resurrection. See, the resurrection is what brings ultimate hope, yes? If the resurrection happened... Then we've got something to go on if the resurrection truly did take place then I can think of at least three things that that tells us one there's life beyond the grave amen thank you very much that's going to be a nice thing there's life beyond death the second thing that it tells us is that God has the ability to renew everything see this is so important for Christians right what's the why does Jesus have to come back from the dead because nobody believes that God can renew things And then here comes the dead guy walking around, and everybody sort of changes their mind about that. That God has the power to bring renewal to things that we would write off as dead. But the other thing that it does, and I love this, is that anything that stands against life and hope and peace and mercy and all things that are good, anything that stands against those things, what the resurrection tells us is, it has no ultimate power. It doesn't win. That the kingdom of God somehow still grows through the cracks of the broken land. It still blooms in the midst of great drought. And that anything that stands against life and hope has no power. And the absence of joy is essentially the absence of hope. It's the fear that nothing is going to work out in our lives or in our world. I think what drove the early Christians, specifically the disciples of Jesus, what drove the early Christians was not theology, but an event, right? Not theology, but an event. A guy came back from the dead. That's what drove the early Christians. What moved the early Christians was an event, not a theology, But the reality that Jesus came back from the grave. And the resurrection's message was and is very simple. And that is that all is not lost. All is not lost. There's a sense in which if we choose hopelessness over joy, as I said before, we are as followers of Jesus denying the power of the resurrection. So, the day that the Christian thinks something like healthcare is going to take the world down, it's denying the power of the resurrection. It's misinterpreting what brings the world down. Now, you just insert whatever it is that drives you to the brink of hopelessness and then back up and say, What am I saying about the resurrection if I choose to go down that path? Am I mourning something that doesn't even need to be mourned? Am I weeping with something that doesn't deserve my time? And could I be leveraging that energy to rejoice in the things that are true, like Jesus is coming back, and this is the cool thing, and all of life will be renewed. All of creation will come to a good end. Like that's the kind of thing that joy is supposed to be anchored in. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, which is a way of saying that those who have died, that you may not grieve or mourn, as some versions say, as others do who have what? No hope. Now, the scriptures say in Ecclesiastes, there is a time to mourn and there's a time to weep. But the other part of that verse says there's a time to laugh and a time to dance, which means there's a balance. There's a balance of knowing when to mourn and what to mourn. But there is also a life to be lived with dancing and laughing. The book of James says um, in the New Testament says, if anyone is happy, let him sing. Right? That's what singing is. It's like this thing that we do when there's joy. And that doesn't mean we're happy. I mean the blues. I mean the blues are really anchored in this kind of hopeful. Outcome, even though the situation at hand is terrible. And so we sing. If anyone has that, we we sing. And just, like, it's so incredible. Like, music, we sing every week. Why do we sing every week? Not to warm you up, like, just so I can come up and have a good crowd. That's not the point of singing. (laughs) We sing because there's hope, right? Now, I think all singing is that, whether the artists recognize that or not. I mean, we're the only species, like, where we sing, and people come and watch the singer. Like, what is that? That never happens with, like, rabbits. Like, there's no, like, all the rabbits going, you got to come see this, this is the best rabbit singer. And, like, you, you, you come upon them in the jungle, and it's like, what's going on? It's a concert. It's the rabbit, you know, the rabbit concert. Like, it never happens. They don't care. But there's something within the human that has to sing and to express this kind of thing. And so we, we gather and we sing. And that's, we do so because there's joy, there's hope. And I just want to end with this. Joy comes from knowing the good future of God's world. Joy comes from knowing the good future of God's world. One of the roles of the congregation, the church, relationally is to keep reminding each other of this truth, to keep pointing out the ways that God is working and the lives of people around us, and to keep turning people's heads towards God's goodness, towards those events and experiences where resurrection is showing itself in the lives of people, showing us where God's goodness is well. Because we're not as objective as we think we are when we just think about ourselves. We're quite subjective, actually. And we need other people to point at us and say, God is working through you, and this is how I've seen it happen. Because we don't always see that. We don't always recognize that God's moving in our lives. Because we're, again, we're not as objective as we think. So let me give you some next steps here on experiencing joy, rejoicing in the Lord, and so on. These are just three very simple things. One is, I well, before I get into the one, I think from experience that we ex- we experience the joy of the Lord the best when we share it. And I think that You'll recognize that to be true in your own life. But let me just give you three things that you can do um, as well. One is that for those who are serving in this place every week, we'll just talk about this building for a minute. Um, I did this last hour with them and said, look, if you've got kids downstairs being wrangled by teachers and leaders and volunteers, like, say thank you. Like, just stay a little bit longer and thank them for what they're doing in the life of your children. Like, if you're a teacher in the second hour here, I mean, I hope that happened today. I hope that people came to you and said, look, I never said thank you, but thank you. My kid loves you. they always talking about this. They want to be here. Like, trust me, a volunteer feels at times like nothing is working and that it's very, very lonely. And it just helps if those who aren't volunteering to sort of look at those who are volunteering and serving them in some way and saying, God is working through you. And I never tell you, but I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you that today, Right? Or just the band, like, thank you Like, they're here, they're here at 7.30 I mean, where else do rock and rollers Get up and play music at 7.30 in the morning Except in a church building Like, that's the only place that that happens And they're here for you, to help you To experience the joy of the Lord through music Do you thank them? I mean, I'm not saying you have Don't do that, don't rush them uh, But you know what I'm saying, like, oh, I feel guilty Good job, great job, I hate the music, but great job, right? Uh, but just, you know point to them and say, God is working through you, you know? Give give Nick, our bass player, a hug. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's hug a bass player day. We're going to dub today hug a bass player day, right? So before you leave today, give Nick a hug and say, thank you. Thank you so much for all you do. Maybe you're in a small group. Almost 70% of our people are. It's a big percentage. And those are great circles for this sort of thing where you can just look across the, the room and and point to somebody and say, God is working through you. You have done so much for me and my family or my faith or whatever. You've got to start having those conversations. Small group isn't just about, you know, five questions and a prayer. It's are we talking to each other in these ways? Are we, are we rejoicing together? Another way to do this, and I'll close with this. It's just simply in the service that we give to the city in which our church is located. I love the fact that like 100 people are signed up to do Serve the City Projects of the next couple weekends here out of this church. I love that. So it's so incredible. And just the joy that we can bring to those in greatest need just by serving our neighbors and being good neighbors and bringing joy to the lives of those who knew. Does that make sense? Joy comes from knowing the good future of God's world, knowing that all was not lost, and knowing that in the end, everything will be renewed. This is the message of the gospel. And the Christian has to know that. And the Christian has to walk through life, regardless of what's happening to him or her in whatever situation, the outcome is good. The outcome is intended. The outcome is what God has always wanted it to be. And therefore, we have hope. We don't walk around hopeless, but we walk around with hope. Because to live hopelessly is to deny the power of the resurrection. Because the resurrection says, all is not lost. Hang with me. Trust me. Follow me. And all the way to the end. And we will see good things. Which is a nice lead-in to our time of communion. And I won't say a lot here. Maybe just 30 seconds as we set this up. But communion is essentially that thing that the church has done from the beginning that reminds the church that God is faithful and that though he has died, was buried and resurrected and gone, that he will come back, that he will come and renew all things, that he will return. And until then, we take this bread and we drink this juice as a reminder, as a hopeful posture that what he has said and promised is true. And we will not lose hope and God's work in our lives, in our church, our city, and our world. But the church ought to be a place of rejoicing, of laughter, and joy of finding God's goodness in all.